be seated. Today we are going to be continuing a series um, that we started a couple of months ago, um, walking through the book of 1 John. And if you remember from the last time that we came to this book, uh, John has two main or, or major goals in his writing it. First, he's wanting to combat false teaching against the Christian faith and against the Christian life. And he's also wanting to encourage believers by giving them these markers, if you will, these uh, pillars of the Christian faith. Now, John is going to be primarily focused on the latter point today, on um, teaching us what is good and what we should do. But don't miss that anytime we learn more about the truth or what is good, we better equip ourselves to discern what is false or what we should avoid. And so we are actually continuing to learn about both of these tasks as we walk through our text. Because John does want to encourage the church. He has a, a great, uh, deep care and love for them. We will see that as he addresses them in our text this morning. And he's going to do so in a very interesting way. He begins by telling the church that um, I've got nothing new to tell you. Everything that I'm going to tell you is, is what you've heard before. It's something old. It's an old commandment. And then just as soon as he gets those words out of his mouth, he goes, well, actually, there is a new commandment. Um, and then he concludes by telling us why he writes this way and uses um, different classifications, children, young men, um, and fathers, to make his case well known. And we're going to see how each of these play out in our text today. But before I go much further, I do invite you to turn with me. Now, you will need your Bibles today. Um, the uh, insert has a great passage on the wedding at Cana from John 2. However, um, it will not help you that much this morning, for we are in 1 John chapter 2. Um, so if you read it, you will get a different message and will think I'm incompetent. But um, let's have the right text, and then you can make the case on your own. First John chapter 2, we'll be reading in verses 7 through 14. This is the word of the Lord to us today uh, from John. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. May he place these truths upon all our hearts and bless the hearing of it. And let us ask him now for that very thing. Would you go with me in prayer? 
Dear Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to come before Your Word this morning. And Lord, as we unpack the verses that John has so carefully laid out, we need Your help. Help us to understand the repetition. Help us to understand the seemingly contradictory um, statements. Help us to understand the application and the truth behind um, this very encouraging letter. Lord, we know that not one word of your scriptures are an accident or a mistake, but every single one accomplishes exactly what you set out for it to do. And we ask that you do that very thing today before us now. We ask that you bless this time and do it all for your glory. Amen. Once again, just as a reminder, the, the purpose of this series or this walk through First John really is to be a spiritual checkup. We're called to be constantly guarding and evaluating our Christian life and our Christian walk. But I fear that far too often we either don't know how to evaluate ourselves or we do not do so clearly. Some of us treat it like that yearly checkup we're supposed to go to where we make sure that we're on track with our doctor and they either tell us, well, you've, nothing's changed, you've done all the bad habits you did the last year and you have the same problems that you did and if you continue this way you will have the same problems next year and we say, yes, doctor, I will do better and then we hear the same cycle. Um, or um, some of you may uh, be better than I, and uh, you may go in and listen and make a list, and you may uh, go and change your diet and your exercise and your habits, and you may use that as a guideline or a tool to strengthen yourself physically over the next year. Well, this is really what John has in mind. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to show you here are the areas that you can go wrong. Here are the areas you need to be careful in. Here's what you need to add more of and here's what you need to take away. And I think that he's going to do this in two main ways in our text this morning. First, I think that he's going to explain these things to us with an old commandment. He is going to explain to us that we've actually already heard that which we need to know. At the same time, and secondly, he's going to give us a new commandment. And he's going to explain how this is an expansion of the first. And then finally, he's going to break these categories or groups down. He's going to call us children, fathers, and young men. And explain why it's important for each of these groups to hear these commandments and to obey them. And so we're going to take these in turn and I invite you to look back at verse 7 as we begin by looking at the Old Commandment. And John begins this section, the very first word here is beloved. This is a, a, a term of endearment. This is a very, um, it means he has a very close relationship with this group. He cares very greatly for this church. Beloved, those who are well loved are greatly loved. He says to them, I tell you no new commandment. Instead, I draw you to the word which you have heard. And if we go to John's gospel to understand, well, what is that word? What have they heard? What has he told them? What, what have they been taught that could be considered an old commandment? If you go to the gospel of John, chapter 1, you hear this. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And so, in essence, he's drawing their minds back to Christ. When he says, I tell you nothing new, he's saying, remember Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you heard that the greatest phrase uttered by Christ was greetings, post-resurrection. The first thing, the first words out of his mouth, greetings. Because it meant that every single word of God had been fulfilled. Every promise had been kept. And Pastor Tony walked us through many of those promises as we started in the beginning and we walked through the Scriptures and we saw a little more and a little more and a little more as we finally got to the death, to the burial, and then we concluded with the resurrection. It proved from Genesis to Revelation everything is true. God would keep His Word. Christ did do what He set out to do. He did save His people. And so John, in our text today, is reminding them, remember this. Remember who Christ is. Remember what He has done. And if you get nothing else out of our time together this morning, I challenge you to do the same. Remember what you have been taught. Remember that Jesus died for His people. He rose again. We are here to celebrate that. Because this is one of the biggest markers of the Christian life, is it not? It's one of the biggest tests of the faith. Do you delight in Christ? Do you look forward to news about Christ and news about Christ's people? Do you reflect on it often? Do you care about it? Do you think about it? This is why our entire service is oriented the way that it is. Um, If you read through our liturgy each aspect, each section is placed there intentionally, on purpose, to lead you through celebration of God, realization that we're sinners, confessing of our sin, hearing we've been pardoned, worship in song, worship in prayer, worship through the sacraments, worship through giving. It's all a big worship service to God. I mean, you've heard before, this very sanctuary, we are in a room constructed intentionally to cause us to focus our attention on God. It's all laid out before us. And John would remind the people, just as as I have now, remember Him. Excuse me. Please do not grow weary of hearing about Christ. May that never become something that is mundane to you. May you never get to the point where you find yourself saying, enough about that, let's get on to something good. It's the best we've got. I can't offer you anything any better. I I can't give you anything any more than to point you to the one who gave it all. If you go back to the section right before ours, um, where we ended last time we were together in verses 1 through 6, John concludes this section by saying, By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I just want to bring to your attention a, a universal truth. You cannot act like someone you do not know. You cannot walk like someone you've never learned about. You can't do what Jesus did if you don't know what that was. And so John is making such an important statement here. Remember that which you have been told from the beginning. Remember the word and walk in it. 
And he's not talking to random people here. He's not talking to just anyone. He's talking to the church. He's reminding you, Christian, walk in the light. Walk in truth. Remember Christ and live in it. I pray that we never grow tired of this. The confession, um, shorter catechism, question 85, helps us think about this when it asks, what does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? The divine's answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with diligent use of all of the outward means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption. Have faith in Christ. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. Not yourself, but in Him. This is the old commandment. And this is where John begins. I tell you nothing new, but that which you've already heard, the word that was from the beginning. But then he does turn and say that there is a new aspect to it. I do bring you a new commandment. Let's turn our attention now to verses 8 through 11 to see what he means here and how he can make these seemingly contradictory statements. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. And to help make sense of this seemingly contradictory statement, one commentator says the key is to once again go to the Gospel of John chapter 13. This time we'll be looking at verses 34 and 35. Here um, he's quoting Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling his disciples in this account to love one another and calling it a new commandment. But do we want to say that Jesus is wrong? Because isn't the command to love found in the Ten Commandments? Isn't the the command or call to love found earlier in the um, book of Genesis? All throughout, aren't they called to love one another? Isn't one of the first sins a command or a an act of hatred? Well, the answer is yes. But Jesus adds something here. And don't miss this. Um, He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's where it becomes new. All of a sudden, the disciples can think, that's how Jesus loves. That's how he acted at that situation. That's how he treated that person. That's what he said and that's what he did. He's calling us to love one another like he does. And this shows what type of love Jesus has. This speaks very profoundly to, to who Jesus is and to his character. And then on, in turn, he, he tells the disciples, now do that. And with that in mind, let's go back to our account and we'll see that a very similar truth is being portrayed. 
for what John is doing here is he says, remember the old commandment, and then here's our clause, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is what makes it new. Hold on to the old truth because the light is shining. A theme that John will carry throughout all of his letters um, is the theme of light. Light shines in darkness. Light brings clarity. Light reveals that which has been hidden. Jesus is said time and time again to be light. I am the light of the world. He reveals, He illuminates, He brings understanding to God's Word. In that resurrection moment, everything leading up had been proven true. And everything from there forward has been proven that it will be true. And in Christ, in that center, we get understanding. And so we must cling to the light. We must cling to the truth. We must Realize that the darkness is fading. This is beautiful for us as Christians. Why? Because it makes us realize that we're fighting in a battle that has already been won. We're already on the winning side. The battle is essentially over. We're just waiting for Christ to gather us up and to celebrate. And doesn't that change how you live in your life to day-to-day life? Doesn't that change how those struggles we face and difficulties that come up and hardships, doesn't that affect those things in a different light? Yes, they may be intense, and yes, they may be severe, and yes, they may be difficult, but ultimately the victory is won. It is settled. We are with Christ, and as we're with Christ, then we have won, and we will win. These temporary moments of affliction will be fleeting. They, we will look back in eternity um, and wonder why we ever struggled so much as we sit with the light. Between the old and between the new, they find their center in Christ. And John continues and tells us what this does look like and what this doesn't look like. In verse 9, he says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. A true believer will love his brother and sister in Christ. If not, then they are not a true follower. Now, I realize that we will not do this perfectly. I realize that we will make mistakes. I'm almost 30 years old. And there are still times that I do not get along with my two younger brothers. We do things to aggravate each other all the time. I'm ten hours away from them and it's a text or a lack thereof more often than not. It's a question that goes months without being answered. It's a, you've still not come to visit and we've been here for almost two years. Um, There's all sorts of things. Now to be fair, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I can be a little bit overbearing and um, think I always have the right answer and show them how they're wrong um, and have done so since we were children, most of the time correctly. But um, the reality is, is we're family. We get on each other's nerves. We make mistakes. We aggravate each other. We will fail at this. And how much more so is this the case for us as brothers and sisters in Christ? 
we worship together, we work with one another, we go to school together, we spend all this time together, which means we get on each other's nerves all the time. We do not love each other as we should. But that's not what what John is talking about here. He's not talking about those momentary uh, times of disagreement or argument or fighting or bickering. No, what John has in mind here is a constant, severe hatred of your brother or sister. It's a grudge that you will not let go. It's a, I will not yield. He or she is wrong. I am right, and I will not back down from this. It's that mindset that you must hold this hill at all costs and not give up an inch. That's what true hatred toward your brother or sister is. And that's what John warns about here. One who knows the old commandment, one who realizes that they walk in light of Christ, cannot be this type of person. And I challenge you if you struggle with this. I challenge you if, if this is, tends to be your, your uh, weakness or struggle, come into the light. Sit with Christ. Listen to Him. Read his word, fellowship with each other, and as you do so, it becomes easier and easier to say, you know what, I'm wrong. Or, what's even harder, I'm not wrong, but for the sake of this relationship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it. I'm going to stop here. That one I've, I've found personally to be the harder task is to yield when you're right. But it says, the text is very clear, those type of people are in darkness. They do not understand because they do not walk in light. The darkness is blinding to them. And what better analogy for for not clinging to Christ than darkness? Darkness causes confusion. It causes fear. It causes a lack of understanding. Have you ever tried to walk around your house in complete dark? Um, Especially those of you who have children. I still remember telling Lisa a few weeks ago after Ethan played in the living room that we should just leave it. Just, just leave it. She asked why, and I was, said it would be the perfect home defense. It would be the perfect deterrent. They would open the window and step in, and they wouldn't make it one foot. They couldn't make their, they could get one foot in the door, and they would step on a Lego, about three balls, about four cars, um, and, a, and a wagon. They would hit their head on the window after doing that, and then run. It would be perfect. It would be a live-action version of Home Alone. That's darkness. That's what darkness does. Darkness is painful. Darkness is confusing. Darkness makes what should be easy difficult. And in the case of our text today, darkness is not holding to Christ, not recognizing what He's done. It's not realizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And so John reminds us again, and he will continue to do so, walk in light, for if not, it is if you are blind. And in our last section here, he tells us why, why this is important. Why do we do so? And he talks about it in three categories, children, fathers, and young men. And so I want us to spend the time we have remaining in verses 12 to 14 as we unpacked his reasoning or rationale. Now, it is worth saying, as before we come to this, he does use these masculine forms, but it would speak to you women as well. So don't um, 
think that you can just tune out and then it's just for us men in the room. It is for us men in the room, but it is also for you. He begins his explanation here with, with wording that we may miss, and, and this is why I bring the point up. Even in the beginning when he says, I am writing to you little children, in the, in the Greek the word children here is not referring to those of youngest age. Instead, the word children most commonly or most often means those young in the faith. You who are young in the faith, you children, you new to God's word and new to Christianity, I write to you. And what does he say to them? Your sins are forgiven for his sake. And one of the biggest misconceptions, I I think, in the evangelical church today is, is to misunderstand this. We often think that we were saved to do something for God. We think that God is, is kind of raising up an army, if you will, for us to accomplish all these tasks uh, to get credit. But yet, even, um, even us who hold to Reformed theology, even while we can be prone to this sometimes, I think that it's far better to read this and to understand this as, it, as it's read. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. You see, we are saved for His glory. We were created for His glory. Our purpose is His glory. That is our reason for being. That is our reason in existing. That is our reason for salvation because it glorifies God. Now, don't mishear me here because we do have a part to play. And we should delight in that. It says, the Bible says, God loves His children. And God cares for His children. And God delights in His children. And He reminds the disciples, do not stop a child from coming to me. How dare you forbid a child coming to come from coming to me? But don't misplace the credit. The credit is not on us. Our sins are forgiven. The debt has been paid because Jesus paid it all. To quote the old hymn. Little children, I write to you because your sins are forgiven. Those of you who haven't been walking with the Lord for a long time, maybe you are new to the faith. Maybe you are overwhelmed with all of this. Take comfort in the truth that your sins are forgiven. Cling to Christ and trust in Him and know that God will never miss an opportunity to glorify Himself. And I know that sounds arrogant, and, it, and it's hard for us to understand, but what better place to put glory in the perfect one, the one who is true light, the one who created all things. The confession reminds us, Shorter Catechism 1, our chief end is to glorify God. And I've found that to be helpful time and time again. But he doesn't only talk to this group. He does talk to those young in the faith, And then after that, he goes to the other end of the spectrum. Those who are, um, I don't want to use the word old, um, who are wiser in the faith. Um, I believe um, it is safer to go that route. And so Calvin says of this section, each group that is picked is to deal with an idleness that comes from each age of life. And to quote John Calvin, the old, for the most part, excuse themselves because they have exceeded the age of learning. Children refuse to learn, as they are not yet old enough. Men of middle age do not attend, because they are occupied with other pursuits. Lest any of them should exempt themselves, he accommodates the gospel to all, 
And he mentions three ages, the most common divisions of human life. Now he turns to the group he labels fathers. John writes that they know him who is from the beginning. See the ties back again to that old commandment. Their years and study have gifted them with a vast array of knowledge. The fathers should be the group who best discern the scriptures and apply it to their lives and the lives of those around them. They, more than anyone else, should understand what John has said and be able to walk alongside those children and those new to the faith. But Calvin warns this group they cannot become complacent in their years. They cannot believe that they have paid their dues and rest easy and leave the work to others. They cannot sit back and enjoy while others labor. I've always been very appreciative of the kindness and instruction that we have been given as a family over the last two years. This church, Redeemer, you are truly blessed with godly men and godly women who have walked this earth for some time now. And I've, I've really been encouraged because where in most places that, that group of people look to my generation and they laugh and mock us, they scoff because we don't have a house and two cars and all of the things that we were supposed to have by now. Um, they really look at us and, and kind of cast their noses toward us. This group here does not do that. Far many, many times I have been pulled aside by one of our elders in the faith here. I've been pulled aside and encouraged and strengthened and challenged. I've been led to God's word. I've been called to hold to it. Um, we have been fed. We have been taken care of. We have been um, entertained, if you will. And I think that's what he means. I think that that is the true model. I think that that's really what he's getting at here. Fathers, this is your lot. This is your task. You may not be able to go on every mission trip. You may not be able to serve at VBS. You may not be able to do a lot of things that you used to do and do so faithfully. But you can pull someone aside, sit down with them, walk them through life. For you have faced battles and you are a testament to they can be won. You were a testament too. We can come out on the other side. And my generation and those younger than me, we desperately need to hear that. We need to hear that it is possible to persevere. And we are looking to you. And so John and his encouragement reminding them that you have heard what is from the beginning. He also warns them, don't forget it. And please don't waste an opportunity to share it with others. In another passage, Paul tells a similar thing to Titus. Teach what accords to sound doctrine. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Teach what is good and train young women to love their husbands and love their children. And then John turns. Um, he turns to the young men. And to the young men, he once again, he has encouragement and he has words of warning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Young men in John's context were the soldiers. They were the ones most likely to have to fight, to go to war, to go to battle. For they were the strongest. They were the most agile. 
they were the ones most likely to guarantee victory. But John, not really interested in that physical aspect, has in mind something more of a spiritual nature. You have overcome the evil one. John is reminding them of the spiritual battle. He is reminding them of the war that we face day after day after day. And the whole of the Bible is there to remind us and to teach us that true strength, the strength that this group desperately needs, comes from the Lord, not ourselves. For we are talking about spiritual warfare, not physical. You could look to David, who didn't appear to be the best choice. You could look to the defeat of Jericho in an unorthodox way. You could look to Gideon, who time and time again was told to divide his army into those most likely to fight and those least likely, and then having the most likely cast away again and again and again until you have this group that doesn't resemble soldiers at all. And we could go all throughout Scripture, and we could read and we could learn about how God chooses strength differently than we do. For it is not the strength of the arm it's the strength of the one who sent you. You know, um, in the book of Joshua, Joshua is told by the Lord to command the people, be strong and be courageous. And this verse gets misquoted all the time to think, just be brave and you can do whatever you want. Um, and that's not what's at mind, because remember what Joshua was calling them to do. Be strong and courageous and you will go into these lands and slaughter all of these people who have been disobedient to the God whom you serve. And I will give you the victory. That's a little weightier than passing a test. No. Remember, young men, your strength comes from the Lord. I will deliver you. I will deliver unto you victories. Not for your own sake, but for mine. And yet, young men, we're prone to arrogance. We often have the strength and ability to do great things, but we lack wisdom and discernment or even worse we're rash and we act and then think and then are left with cleaning up our messes calvin warns this group as he reads this passage we know that those of this age are so addicted to the vain cares of this world that they think but little of the kingdom of god for the rigor of their mind and the strength of their bodies inebriates them hence the apostle reminds them where true strength is Men, we must not take what the Lord has given us for granted. Satan loves to distract us. He loves to make us inefficient. He loves to have us chase things that have no eternal significance or value. He's very good at that. What's the first thing that Satan does in Scripture? He takes what God has forbidden and says, isn't it good? Isn't it nice? We must be very careful, young men, that we don't fall into this trap. Fathers, we must be careful that we don't sit by and just watch the younger ones, the youth, um, fall into sin, fall into traps, fall again and again and again when we could have stepped in. Little children, those young in the faith, take heart. Look to those above you. Look to those who are fighting and who have fought. Know that we fight a winning battle. We look to, a, to a, a, a field which has already been conquered. We look to a Savior who has won. And we're just waiting on Him to come and get us. John thinks that this is so important that he concludes this section by repeating himself. 
It almost seems like a misprint. And to be fair, some of the commentators disagree greatly as to why John says the same thing twice here. But I want to offer two things to you as to why. The first, um, I don't know if you've really taken the time to appreciate it or understand it. In um, the time of, of the New Testament, there wasn't really an ability to bold, highlight, underline, italicize, change font size, things like that. Um, if you really wanted to get your point across, you repeated it. And to John, this is so important that he repeats himself. He says it again to make that point stick in the minds of the people and in the minds of us today. Also, he gives it a poetic nature, if you will. For what is modern music, um, but they take one thought and then repeat it ad nauseum um, to the point that you were left thinking that one three or four sentence phrase that's in the song, and then everything else just points back to it or repeats it. That's effective. It works. You know that one line. You know that point in that one song. You know that one verse that goes on and on and on. And unlike a a song that that may have no meaning or value or purpose, look to the Scriptures. John reminds us again, I write to you, fathers. I write to you, children. I write to you, young men. Remember what I have said. Hold to this old commandment. There's nothing that you haven't heard. I have told it to you before. You have heard it before. It is that Christ lived, died, and rose again. And yet it is new. Walk in the light that shines because of the old. Christ has risen. He does illuminate the Scriptures. Darkness is fading. Morning is coming. And do not forget that no matter where we fall in the walk of our Christian life, children, young men, or fathers, there is an encouragement and there is a warning. There is an encouragement to remember what you've been told, and there's a warning to stay fast, hold on, and help one another. And as we do so, we're fulfilling God's call for the church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege to be a part of your plan. We thank you, Lord. We don't often understand it, but you have granted us an opportunity. You have given us a chance to be a part of something enormous, eternal, everlasting. I thank you, Lord, for that. And I ask that you be with us. Help us to be there for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to suffer together, to do all of these things because this is what you've commanded for the church. Lord, I pray that you continually remind us of that which we have heard from the beginning. That you would send a seed of the woman to defeat the serpent once and for all. It would hurt him in the process. But you also promised that that hurt would not last for he would be raised. I thank you for last week's opportunity to see that in big picture. I thank you for this time now to see why that's important. I ask that you go before us and go with us throughout the rest of this day and do so in your name and more importantly, for your glory. Amen.